Hello, and welcome to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselman. You are listening to me on WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. Before we jump into today's show, we are going to listen to a quick disclaimer. Then we're going to come back and do what we always do unpack uh, (laughs) the many, many different uh, happenings in Boston and maybe a little bit beyond. The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241. Or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Hello, and welcome back to Bostonian Rap. So I just, I have to say that the mood for tonight's show is disgusted. <laughs> so if I were an emoji, I would, <laughs> I would probably have, what are the emojis that convey disgust? Uh, a surgical mask over my face, or uh, there's another one where there's an emoji blowing uh, his nose. So I don't know, one of those, or maybe just uh, the emoji with a straight line for a mouth, (laughs) or a straight line uh, for a mouth, and then the closed eyes. I I just, I don't even know where to begin. So not to sound too cliched, I'm going to start at the beginning. You know, the city is in really, really tremendously bad shape. And it's it's just really painful to witness. It really is. And what's even harder to experience in terms of an emotion is the anger that I feel. You know, because I know that none of this had to happen. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are certain issues, certain societal ills that if we're talking about a major urban environment, you know, some of that is is going to come to, you know, these particular geographical spaces. I mean, when you have a major city such as Boston, uh, there's certain things that unfortunately come with the territory. But the extent to which we're having some of these problems and the emergence of some of these new issues, just none of it had to happen. And I'm going to say something that, you know, maybe a lot of people don't want to hear, but it really is the truth. It comes down to people not voting. It's pathetic. If you talk to people from other countries and you tell them the percentage of registered voters that actually get out and perform their civic duty, they're shocked. They're absolutely shocked, and they should be. There is no excuse for people not to get out and vote. And I know... This has been an ongoing theme for me. How long have I been doing radio? I've been doing it, uh, well, with BNM for about six years. 
And then I've been doing the televised version of Bostonian rap since 2012, actually airing. And, you know, this, this is something that I've, I've talked about a lot. This is something that is, is very important to me, civic engagement. And I think a big part of that is voting. People expressing themselves, yay or nay, a big, a big part of that, or, or, or one of the primary means by which a citizen, a resident can do that, is by voting. Yet people find all kinds of excuses not to do it. And I just, right now, <laughs> again, I'm disgusted because Boston is... I'm going to give specific examples today, and anyone who listens to me on a regular basis knows that that's what I uh, endeavor to do. I don't like to speak in generalities because I don't think that that really uh, yields any kind of fruitful discussion. I don't think that if I did like kind of speak in generalities and then, you know, encounter someone on the street, I don't think we could have really uh, a productive conversation if that person heard me uh, listen to what I had to say because it's it's a little hard to talk <laughs> in generalities. You have to 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 have a, an actual argument and you have to give examples. And and you know, as I said, there are certain themes, and I'm always saying this. There are certain themes that kind of run throughout my show. They're kind of baked in. To, to who I am um, and and how I how I express who I am in my show um, certainly uh, civic responsibility and by extension civic participation uh, is is uh, is really big really 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 big with me um, but you know to talk about you know, today's show, what I want to get into, yes, civic participation, but also, and I've talked about this too, and, and, it, and it hasn't been an ongoing theme. Um, it's not something that stretches back, you know, years and years. But, but I think that until things change dramatically, I think it's going to become kind of a, a new uh, a new, um, yeah, I'll say theme again, <laughs> a new theme of mine that, uh, you know, civic responsibility by extension, civic participation, very, very important, very, very um, necessary, right? But it's impossible to truly be civically engaged to exercise one's civic responsibility to participate intelligently if one doesn't know the issues. And so what we what we have right now in Boston is we have we have a lot of egos. We have a lot of egos. Method or mile. And I'm not going to call it mass and cast. I will continue to call it method or mile. The situation has continued to worsen. It's continued to deteriorate. It's an open-air drug market. It's expanded. This cancer, it's uh, metastasized. But people are worried about calling it methadone mile. 
so recently, Boston City Councilor Erin Murphy said that, you know, in an op-ed, and I don't, I, I got to say a, a little bit of a, a, an aside, I don't know why freshman counselors are doing op-eds. I mean, if it's something that is really, it's a really big issue and a counselor really has a really informed perspective and a, a proposal, you know, in the way of a solution, Okay, sure, but I don't need to hear really from a freshman counselor beyond him or her really just establishing himself or herself as a go-to for constituents, for residents of Boston. I I just, I don't want to hear what your opinion is. I don't, on X, Y, or Z. I I don't need that. So this isn't just directed against Councilor Murphy. You know, Rootsy Lujan wrote an article about migrants. Um, I appreciate that there have been a lot of uh, headlines, and, and, and certainly recently about uh, migrants um, or or illegal aliens, and 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 just so people are, are <laughs> clear, the the two are not the same. They're very much different. Um, you know, sometimes we we do talk about Haitians. Sometimes we do talk, right? And so I, I understand with Rootsy. Being of Haitian descent, I understand why she would want to talk about that. But I just, I don't feel like she is here to do that. And I feel like, you know, a lot of these freshman counselors, and it didn't just start with this particular group, they just feel like they have to weigh in on everything. And I'm like, you really don't. Just do your job, please. Do your job for all that's good in the world. Just do your job. And I, I have to say something else because I, I, you know, unfortunately, because I am vocal, because I do have strong opinions, people listen not to understand, but to pick apart, to criticize, to slam. So I always have to make everything that I say very clear. Right. So, again, there is a difference between migrants and illegal aliens. I am not going to. I mean, legally, there there's a very, very, very big difference. And so I'm not going to uh, use the two terms interchangeably. Right. It's just it's not it wouldn't be a responsible thing to do. And I also want to, you know, just kind of expand upon the remark that I made Uh you know, we know that our population uh, around, around you know, mass, you know, around Boston, in and around Boston, but even throughout the Commonwealth, we do have uh, people who are illegal aliens, and they're from certain countries. And one of the countries, you know, we have a big Haitian population anyway, a big, beautiful, very important Haitian population. Um, but we do 
we do have, because we do have that big, uh, well-established, important population, we have people, uh, you know, other people who come from Haiti, and they might be illegal, you know, right from the beginning of their uh, of their time here in the United States. We have other uh, Haitians that might be here. They might have come into the country legally, but then they overstay their visa, right? Um, but let me be just entirely clear. You can be from any country in the world and be an illegal alien. If you, are, if you do not come to this country with the right paperwork, if you don't have the American citizenship and you didn't come here with the right paperwork, you're illegal, Okay, you're an illegal alien. So alien refers to, you know, I know that some people might not like that term, but that is the term that's used. Uh, That is the legal term that's used. Uh, You know, aliens are foreign nationals. And we talk about legal aliens versus illegal aliens. So let me just be abundantly clear. If you are from really anywhere in the world, but you don't have the right paperwork to be here, I'm going to consider you an illegal alien. Um, But just, again, because of the populations, particular populations that we have uh, in Massachusetts, we we are going to attract uh, people who are here illegally uh, from certain countries, maybe more so than maybe others. Uh, So let me just be clear, because, again, you know, people, whenever I talk, people, (laughs) they're just waiting like, oh, did you hear what she said? And it's like, okay, what did I say? Um, and then we're also living in a day and age where people, they don't hear you say something that they could use against you. So then they turn around and say, well, you said that. And it's like, but I didn't. When did I say that? And people just attribute all kinds of things to you. And so, you know, if you, if you decide to push it, they always seem surprised. And I don't know why. Um, but, you know, okay, so... You know, let me you tell me, let me know when I said that. Let me know when I actually even implied that. And then, of course, you know, invariably people can't respond. And then you just, you know, you just sit back and say, my goodness gracious, what's going on? Um, but, you know, let me let me get back to, you know, let me get back to talking about methadone mile. Um you know, if if Erin wants to write an op-ed on methadone mile, I expect her to offer a solution, right? And you know, she did she did show support for an idea, um, a floating hospital, if you will, a floating um, treatment facility. But it's not her idea. And I think that someone who has talked about addiction and recovery as much as she has um, because of her uh, personal situation, which she has shared publicly, um, and because of of the role that she plays on the, on the council in particular, she is the chair of the standing committee that addresses addiction and recovery. You know, I expect her to have some kind of plan of her own. I don't expect her to piggyback on the ideas, the proposals of other people, right? So I just, I don't, you know, this 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 trend of, 
of uh, freshman counselors like weighing in on everything, please stop. <laughs> just, just if you're not doing your job, or if you're not doing your job to to, to the extent that you need to be, I just I don't I'm not interested. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. Um, and method mile is is certainly it's certainly uh, an issue that that is. It's multidimensional. It's a multidimensional crisis. And, you know, I just, it's really frustrating for me to listen to different people talk because they don't know what they're talking about. And regardless of the amount, the frequency with which they talk about method mile, they, they don't really at the end of the day know what they're talking about. Or if they do, they're they're talking about it in, in piecemeal, and you can't do that. It's a multi-dimensional crisis, and that's what I said when I ran for Congress. That's what I said before, and that's what I've said since. You just there's so many different pieces, and the loudest voices in the room are not speaking to all the pieces, and and. And that's because, you know, now Boston is overrun. Or, I mean, some of these people, I mean, they're, they're from here. So what I'm going to say is Boston has become a place where big mouths are allowed to <laughs> just be big mouths. And, and, and that really, that prevents things from getting done. Right. It's just all that does is create cacophony. So you have people, and I'll name names. I have no problem with that. Domingo Starosa, he he knows how to bring the noise. But he doesn't know how to bring anything else. And I'm not going to be someone who, notwithstanding my complaints about Domingos, which I have made public, which I have made public, uh, made sure that he's known about my comments, uh, public comments, and, and, you know, private. Private, I say the same thing. You know, there's no point in saying one thing publicly and another thing privately or vice versa, right? Uh, you're consistent. Um, I have always said that I'm going to give Domingos his props, credit for bringing attention to the proliferation of the needles and bringing attention, putting the spotlight on what children and adults have to encounter in certain environments. And I appreciate that he helped he helped make Melthedon Mile in more recent years a conversation that we all need to be talking about. But my problem with Domingos is he makes a lot of noise, but then he doesn't do anything to solve the issues. And I'm not so sure he knows what all in fact I know he doesn't know what all the issues are because he doesn't speak to all of them. And he votes for people or he supports people, elected officials, that don't do anything in terms of or in the way of 
putting forth ideas that can start to address the multidimensional crisis that is methanomile. So if you're not putting forth an idea, a plan of action yourself, and you're only supporting elected officials that aren't putting forth plans of action, then after a certain point, I have to say, well, what good is, what good is making noise? Because then after a certain point, it's self-aggrandizing. And so whatever good that might have been accomplished, even inadvertently, it's, it's eclipsed after a certain point. Because again, it's, it becomes, the noise becomes self-aggrandizing. I'm waiting for Domingos to talk more in detail about the entirety of the ecosystem on Methanol Mile. I'm also waiting for Domingos to give credit to other people. So recently we had an exchange and, you know, he dropped, you know, I think he thought he was dropping a bomb on me. He, you know, well, I've been at it for a while. It's like, but Domingos, I never said you hadn't. And for people who, um, who might be less uh, familiar with the figures in Boston, uh, Domingos de Rosa, again, I will admit, he has been someone that for many years has talked about methadone mile. Right. So he's talked a lot about it and he has put, I think, an important spotlight on the activity, some of the activities that transpire in this particular environment. And and, and we've gotten through that uh, a, a real idea of how a concrete idea of how different communities that need that area, how they are impacted. So again, I'm always going to give Domingo's credit, but but my issue with him is I need to see a plan of his own. What the, what's his plan? Where's his course of action? And then Domingo's wants credit for what he says and does, but then he doesn't want to give it. And then I have to hear from people like Domingos and others about how they can't vote for Republicans. Well, let me tell you what this Republican right here did. Me, Rachel Meiselman. I was the first to talk about Atkinson Street in any kind of detail. And for those that are less familiar with the geography around Methadone Mile, uh, that is, uh, that's where there is um, a shelter uh, that is now there's a, a comfort center, but there used to be a, what I called a de facto shooting gallery. Um, there was it was like a, a comfort zone. And so it's where people could come and be comfortable and not feel judged. But I walked in to that comfort zone and it was it was very hard and I did it by myself which probably wasn't the safest thing to do quite frankly um, I mean I didn't do I mean it, it wasn't like there weren't um, police officers around uh, the, the most there definitely was um, still it wasn't what I'd call a, a, <laughs> the safest thing for me to do um, 
I came out and I was, I was shook, <laughs> as the kiddies say, and some of the adults do. I, I was, I was shaken to the core. It was very difficult to see. Uh, I myself have never used drugs. That doesn't make me better or worse than anybody, as I've said on previous shows. But it's just the point that I've never used, and 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 to to just stand there and see people just you know shooting up. It was it was very difficult. But quite honestly, even if you have experienced addiction yourself, or uh, you know, a close one, a cl- someone who's close to you, uh, a very good friend. Um, even if you've experienced addiction through others, you know, uh, people in your inner circle, um, I still think it's it's, a, it's something that's very. It, it gives you a nasty, nasty jolt. It gives you a nasty jolt to see people shooting up. And it's it's very it's it's very difficult for me to accept seeing that in my hometown. Very difficult indeed. Um, but I was the first person to draw attention to that that comfort zone. I was the first person to talk about human trafficking on the mile. I was the first person to see if there was. Any kind of data that we could get, and and that's hard because in general, for any type of trafficking, um, and and the tra- the trafficking that I was sp- speaking about in particular was of course sex. I shouldn't say of course, but sex trafficking. Now, in general, it's very difficult to get data on human trafficking because a lot of the victims uh, they're very vulnerable, or well, they've they've been completely shamed into silence or a combination. So that makes it very difficult, um, and then and th- and this is in addition to victims um, being uh, deathly afraid of of some kind of retaliation or to be punished uh, in some way more than they already have, if that's even imaginable. So it can be very difficult to get data on. Um, just how many people have been trafficked and exactly who's been trafficked and where. Um, but I wanted to see if we could get data, and I, that's something that I'm going to continue to to push for. First person. First person. I mean, no one was talking about trafficking. And I said, look, come on. If we have prostitution down the mile, and if you go down the mile, you see it. You can't miss it. Right? And so... Prostitution, you know, earlier I was talking about migrants, legal, uh, illegal aliens, very different, right, legally. Same thing with prostitution and sex trafficking, human trafficking, you know, just in general, um, very different. Not the same crime at all. Having said that, the reality is that sometimes the lines between the two are blurred. And so I said, well, look. I know that if there's prostitution going on down there, there's sex trafficking going on down there. I was the first person to talk about the businesses being impacted. And I went into detail. 
I mean, you're talking about the safety of the people who maybe want to frequent businesses, but they're going to make other choices because they don't want to put their personal safety in jeopardy. They don't want to be hurt. Or maybe they just simply don't want to witness the different activities that take place on the mile. Many of which are absolutely revolting. I was the first person to, in talking about how businesses are impacted, to talk about attrition. Come on, we have to talk about attrition. So now you have these businesses in and around this area. They have to hire additional security. What do you think that's going to do to the prices of their of their uh, goods or services? They got to make up for it some way. And then they also want their staff to be safe. And they want their customers, their clients to be safe. So there's that. But, you know, talking about attrition in particular, you go to certain places and it's it's a very, very big issue, well, particularly on the mile. Items get stolen. Merchandise gets stolen. That also affects <laughs> that that uh, that affects uh, you know, the profit of a business because again, they have to hire security. But also just, I mean, if they if they continue to have their goods stolen, you know, <laughs> what happens? It can, over long term, it can impact the quality of the goods that someone might sell, that a business might sell. If I talk about, in particular, about goodwill, so it's, I guess, what, nonprofit? But nonprofits function like businesses. And so we talk about revenue when we talk about business, and we talk about surplus. We're more likely to talk about surplus when we're talking about nonprofits. But the bottom line is, is you've got to, even if you're a nonprofit, you still have to be profitable <laughs> in a sense, right? Um, so, so what happens? You know, goodwill with the money that is made from the clothing and the, and the goods that they, you know, the, uh, the other goods that they sell, it's, they have programs, these programs help different members in the community to shore up uh, skills, to, to train them for, for uh, promising careers. These programs, again, over time could be impacted. I mean, it, it's <laughs> everything that's happening. When you, when you talk about addicts, you can't just talk about addicts because the community in which these addicts are found, there are all these ricochet effects. But you have people like Domingos who's up there talking about the needles, the needles, the needles. Now he's talking about Clifford Park, or he's been talking about it as if that's something completely different. It's not. It's Methadone Mile. It's not Clifford Park. It's Methadone Mile. 
But again, here I am, a Republican, the first one to talk about the comfort zone, first person to go into detail about Atkinson Street, the first person to talk about, you know, go into detail about the businesses and the impact on these businesses, the first person to really go into extensive detail about... well, I talked about trafficking, first person to talk about that, as I said. But the first person to talk about, it's not just oh, the children. The children have to see this. Oh, the ch-. Go into detail. You know, and people don't do that. It's because they're not taking the time to learn the complexity of the issue. And I just, we need someone who cares we need we need a lot of someone's who care and we need a lot of people who know what they're talking about and what they're doing and until that happens until those people are on the stage until those people have the microphone methadone mile is not going to get any better it's not And again, I appreciate what Domingos has done in some respects. But where's his plan? And why does he continue to support people who haven't changed things at all? Who, who don't even, some of them, they haven't even begun to address even a little bit of, 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 of the complexity, the, the, the peculiarity uh, the the multi-dimensional aspect uh, of the crisis that's methanomile. And if I sound frustrated, it's because I am. And Domingos isn't the only one. So you have all these people who want to be front and center. Okay, but know what you're talking about and be able to go into detail. And so people don't want to hear that. And that's too bad. Okay, so if you think I'm wrong, for those of you who are here in Boston who and who have been following Method O'Mile, kind of the the happenings on Method O'Mile, you tell me. It's not just the noise that Domingos is making. It's, it's, it's others alongside him as well. You tell me how that has changed things. It hasn't. The situation has gotten worse. I always talk about our school system. I mean, it's shameful. Our currency is education. We're known as the Athens of the New World. But our school system is horrible. It's absolutely horrible. People are offended by my alma mater, Boston Latin School. Why are you offended? You think it produces uh, elite, elite, you know, it it engenders elitism. It produces members uh, of the uncaring, unfeeling elite. Let me tell you a little something. You have so many alumni from Boston Latin School that give back all the time. It has produced outstanding public servants. But in this warped day and age, 
what's good is what we tear down. And if someone has actually achieved something, we rip that apart. We rip that apart and pick that apart. Because why? Well, we, we can't have someone doing something that either we don't have the skill set to do or the courage to do. So, you know, if I can't be special, then everyone's going to be mediocre at best. And that's the mentality. That's also a big issue in Boston now. And, and again, for a city that is known as the Athens of the New World, the juxtaposition between what Boston has been and what Boston is, it's very jarring. It's very disturbing. It's very alarming. And, and, you know, really, it gets, it, it always comes back to the people. That's, that's the amazing thing about this country, about this state, and about this city. We have governments on every level, and it's always about the people. It's never going to be any, about anything else. It's never going to be about ego. It's never going to be about personalities. It's always going to be about the people. And the people want and the people demand. Well, guess what? People have res- the, the people, as big of a populist as I am, I recognize that the people have, res- have a responsibility And I include myself in that. We're going to talk more about this responsibility when I get back. Uh, We're going to go to a quick break. And uh, if you have any questions, uh, you know, as always, you know, let me know. But a quick break, and then we're going to come right back to tonight's show. It's time for today's STEM tip. Okay, you know recycling is important. No one wants plastic in the ocean. Here's a cool way to repurpose a plastic bottle. Build an awesome terrarium. Cut a large plastic bottle in half and fill the base with sand, pebbles, potting soil, and your favorite plant. I chose an African violet. Put the top of the bottle over your base and place it in the sun. Your plant will grow sealed in its own ecosystem. Fun, right? Learn more at She Can STEM. A message from the Ad Council. You hear that? This is my Boston accent. This is my Boston accent. Yeah, it is. Shh. This is my Boston accent. This is our Boston accent. Hear it for yourself. Discover your own. This is Boston, and we are all inclusive. Estos son los sonidos de una cena. Una cena que casi no sucedió. Es una cena servida gracias a personas como tú. Debido a la crisis actual, 50 millones de personas pueden vivir con hambre este año. Feeding America está ayudando a los que más lo necesitan. Y si quieres, tú puedes ayudar también. Visita feedingamerica.org diagonal en guión español. Patrocinado por el Ad Council y Feeding America, la fuerza de 200 bancos de alimentos. 
Hello, welcome back to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselman. You're listening to me on WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. So I was, before we went to break, I said that, you know, it, it's, it's always going to be about the people. There's nothing more important than the people, but the people have a responsibility. Right? You got to get out and vote. You got to ask questions of your elected officials. And it's not about being aggressive or combative. Right? So you have another personality, Joe Adepina. And, you know, he talks about, well, I speak my mind. So he's, he's very known on the, uh, the Boston political scene. I speak my mind. I don't have a filter. No, you just have a big mouth and you're rude. That's all. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is Boston. (laughs) We're known for speaking our minds, you know, the the average Bostonian. So, uh, you know, the fact that he says that he speaks his mind, I mean, that hardly makes him singular. And uh, yes, I do find him rude on occasion. And and it's just, it's it's unnecessary. Uh, You know, I, I say to myself, okay, Joa, you know, you have a lot to say. Does he sometimes offer uh, insight? I think he does. I think he does. He, he likes to do lives. He likes to do Facebook lives. Um, and he attends different events. Uh, yeah, I think he offers. Sometimes he has uh, some insightful things to say. He also has some ignorant things to say. Uh, very ignorant, in fact. Um, but, you know, every so often he'll say something insightful, but... You know, it's again, it's okay. Now, what do you want to just be known? Do you want to just be heard, or do you want to make things better? You know, that's what it comes down to. Me that these are the questions I'm going to ask now. You know, it's not about not appreciating people, but it's you know, and I'm saying this generally, broadly, but I just, I need to know what people's end game is, like what the purpose of them standing up is. I want to know what they're going to do. And so I started to talk about, you know, you got to ask questions of your elected officials, but I also think you have to ask questions of the activists. You know, the activists here in Boston, they're really something else, some of them, you know, it's, you know, as I've shared a little bit on this show, but on other shows, too, there's something else in that they demand transparency. They demand accountability. But they're not always necessarily transparent themselves. They're not necessarily uh, willing to be held accountable themselves. Right. And, you know, I'm not just talking about the couple of people that I've mentioned on today's show. I'm, I'm speaking broadly. You know, you have people who, who advocate, uh, they're self-styled advocates, champions, allies, whatever words you want, whatever word salad, uh, whatever lexicon you want to use and whatever word salad you want to uh, kind of envelop it in. Uh, you know, we, we have people, you know, sounding off on a wide variety of issues, but I think they need to be held accountable as well. They do. And if you think I'm wrong... Just look at Monica Cannon Grant. She wasn't held accountable. No one asked Monica questions. 
I mean, Monica, I, I you know, I, I, uh, I see what she says on social media and, you know, she's like, well, look at this person who's corrupt and look at that person and look at that, you know, and and I don't necessarily disagree with Monica that, let me choose my words, uh, intelligently and judiciously, um, it, it, you know, Monica is not wrong in saying that, you know, the system allows for a lot of people to do as they please. And in doing as they please, a lot of these people don't necessarily, or at all, maybe not at all, respect rules, regulations, or the law. So I get all that. But it's not because the system might be putrid, or there might be aspects of the system that's putrid. It doesn't mean that she gets to do whatever she wants. So what she's done is is somehow excused. So, I mean, it all play out in a court of law. But my point is, is that, you know, Monica is credibly accused of having done some things that are <laughs> very, it's, it's eyebrow raising. It's disturbing. It's concerning. I mean, you can use any one of these adjectives. But the point, my point, is that Monica, no one ever asked her questions. People didn't hold her accountable. People insulted her. People made her headline, a headline the subject of a blog entry uh, or two or ten or a hundred to make money. But it was about throwing stones. It wasn't about holding her accountable. It wasn't about asking her for transparency and what she said and did as a public figure. Because I think that it's not just the elected officials. If you are an activist, you need to be responsible. You need to be answerable. That's another issue. You have people who are the purveyors of the truth. The only truth. The actual truth, the real truth. And so, you know, one of the groups that comes to mind most readily or most quickly, the anti-vaxxers. And aren't they, aren't they something? Aren't they something? They're just so ignorant. I, I, they just really are. Uh, you know, these people, they used the lawyer of Diana Ploss, who is... A Nazi. There's just, there's, I mean, I'm not given to hyperbole. There is no other way to describe what Diana has become. She has fully embraced Holocaust denial. And the way she talks about Jewish people, the Jewish community, is, is not at all different from the way Jews were discussed and perceived in 1930s Nazi Germany. And it kills me that you have these anti-vaxxers and for whatever reason, the only attorney that they could find to represent them and their frivolous suit against the city of Boston was Diana Ploss's employer. 
I don't know if she's still working for him. I think she might be, but uh, she she was working for him. That's how they found out about him. That's how they got turned on to him. The Diana Ploss connection. So there, there was no other, really, there was no other attorney that could take their case. You know, it's it's just, it's it's unreal. It's it's unreal. Um, it really, really, truly is. Uh, you know, they were going after Michelle Wu. They were, you know, going after the city of Boston. Uh, you know, I, I just, I you know, it's just, I, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know where to begin. But as I said, I guess at the top of the show, I'll start by the beginning. And 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 in you know, in talking about this particular uh, point, um, I just there's no excuse for this group to have used Richard Chambers, Diana's employer, Diana Plus's employer, or erstwhile employer. I mean, the, there's just there there really there's no possible excuse. It's disgraceful, actually. <coughs> and um, and that's all there is to it. You know, you have these people. <coughs> they've gone to... They've gone to... Sorry, I have allergies. And so every so often they kick up. So I, I do apologize. Uh, but back to the anti-vaxxers. Um, they, you know, they've gone to events... Disrupt them. Why? Not because of any kind of principled stance. They've done it to get attention. They've done it to make a name for themselves. And speaking of which, the whole goal, it was less about the impact that it actually had on the city of Boston, that it had on the people, that it had on the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. They used their personal dislike of the vaccine as a vanity vehicle to build a profile, to build their name, to then run for office. So they couldn't get any money by suing, by suing, uh, you know, uh, under, you know, embarking on a lawsuit. So what they're going to do uh, is run for office. Sure, why not? If one grift doesn't work, then there's always another one. It's it's just, it's, <laughs> it's really something. So these people, they really think that they're the pur- purveyors of truth. What truth would that be? I'm sorry, it's just, it's very difficult for me to see beyond a group of people that could willingly associate with Diana Ploss. You have a candidate for the Boston City Council, Catherine Vitale, that is actually going to tell me that Diana Ploss has a right to criticize Judaism because I actually confront, well, I don't want to say I confronted Catherine. I certainly wasn't looking for her. But I happened to be, uh, I was in Charlestown one day, and I saw Catherine out collecting signatures. This was last year. And 
I gave her a piece of my mind. It wasn't handbags at dawn. None of that. There were no histrionics or theatrics. But I asked her point, like, how can you, how could you defend Diana? How could you do that? She denies the Holocaust. She denied that it happened. Catherine's response, Catherine Vitale's response, she has a right to criticize Judaism. And I've never seen her be anything but nice. Okay, well, I don't have to go into any kind of detail to explain how Holocaust denial has absolutely nothing with criticizing the Jewish faith. I mean, it's just, it's obscene that she, it's obscene that she wouldn't have a problem. It's, it's absolutely vile that she wouldn't have a problem with Diana Ploss to try to defend it and especially equate it with criticizing Judaism is absolutely obscene. But Catherine will still insist, she and her, her comrades will insist, and I am going to say comrades because, they're, you know, extremists, whether it's on the left or the right, it's, it's extremists or extremists. And, and, and I think that if, if people are students of history, they're going to find that if a person's on the left and the person's extreme, if a person's on the right and he's extreme, they're actually going to have much more in common than one would might, might think. Because ultimately, the ideology, it's about dogmatism. It's about, you know, authoritarianism. It's, it's, about, it's about purity. And that's what these people are. You know what I mean? They have their beliefs, and then that's that. But why aren't these people held accountable? They're not. And then they want to run for office, and they still don't, and they still don't expect to be held accountable? Come on. If we want a better Boston, if we don't want to see drugs continue to pour into the city, if we don't want to see our schools continuing to fail, if we don't want to have elected officials that are more concerned about posting selfies and, and, and making statements than actually knowing what the job is and, and actually getting it done, then we've got to do something about that. We've got to vote. We've got to hold people accountable. We have to ask questions. We have tremendous freedom and we have unbelievable rights in this country, in this state, in this city, but it all comes with a price. And I don't think it's a heavy one. We have to to vote. We have to be active participants in our communities. And on that note, I'm going to say thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to hanging out with you next week. The preceding commentary does not reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass., 02119 Attention WBCALP 102.9 FM If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org